Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we're at the North Fitzroy Arms for the launch of the Women's Footy Almanac 2018. Plus, there's our State League's wrap with Matthew Cox and Lauren Hodgson. That's all coming up over the next 70 minutes. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This podcast is available on Thursdays from SoundCloud, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts by searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Also, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne, the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. A quick note that we'll be bringing you the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Semi-Finals this weekend right here on RSN Carnival. Join us Saturday from 10am as we present Collingwood versus Hawthorne in the major semi-final. Then Sunday from 11am, the NT Thunder versus Geelong in the elimination semi-final. That's all happening this weekend on RSN Carnival. Tune in for the action or you can also catch the live video stream on vfl.com.au. Tuesday night just gone, we were at the North Fitzroy Arms Hotel for the launch of the Women's Footy Almanac 2018. Numerous guests were in attendance, and one of the first ones we caught up with was Essendon VFLW star, Canadian Kendra Heil. I'm good, thanks for having me, Peter. We've missed you out in the football field. I've been waiting for someone to tap with you so I can say that phrase from South Park. Oh my God, they killed Kenny! (laughs) Well... I'm looking here at your artwork at the moment, the fantastic one of a former teammate and, of course, a friend, Hannah Scott, who you played with for the Eastern Devils. Why did you pick out that particular picture of her holding the cup to say, that's what I want to paint and that's what I want to represent season 2018 on the Women's Footy Almanac cover? So I had some discussions with Casey Simons regarding um, what they wanted to add to the cover. And they threw up a couple ideas, but they really seemed um, typical to me, like the captain and the coach holding the cup, and and everybody's seen those pictures. Uh, so I started like scrolling through um, game day photos from like Russ Canham and some of the other photographers and asked them to send through some uh, for me. Uh, and I was looking for some of like the stars, um, like even the young stars that were coming through that have made an impact during the year. And then as soon as I saw that that photo of Scotty, I had to have it almost. It's like it's when you walk in and you see that that thing at the shop and you just like yeah. cannot leave without it is that photo that just like set my heart on fire and I had to paint it because uh, it captures that moment perfectly and it captures her really well the passion um the hard work and everything coming into fruition in that one um big yell that one big scream that moment and yeah it was perfect so I had to do it it's one thing to see a painting in a gallery or on someone's wall on their lounge or when you walk on by but what does it mean to you when you see book after book coming off the publishing line of this is your image, not only in the front cover of the book, but also with Sabrina frederick Trobe on the back of the book. Yeah. Oh, it's really, really surreal. And I I don't think it really clicked until I got here to the book launch um, that it's, like, happened and it's there. Because I've seen the photos of the cover all put together. Um, but when you can feel it and it's textile and it's, I don't know, it's something that I can send home and give to my mum and... Uh, 
I have a new niece, and so she oh. can grow up and she can see that kind of thing. It's it's really cool because it's not just um, word of mouth or a picture on the internet. It's it's there and it's real. What inspired you to start painting the AFL players and AFLW players back in 2017? Um, so, as you mentioned before, I'd, I'd done a couple ACLs, so um, I did one in early 2016 and recovered from that and was drafted to Collingwood. And I did a couple paintings in the meantime, but like nothing full, like serious yeah. or anything like that. It was just kind of here and there and when people asked me to do them. And then when I did my ACL the second time in preseason, I was pretty devastated because I didn't get that opportunity to actually play a game or, or show what I could do. And I kind of felt a disconnect to the game and I, I needed to, to find my passion again because um, it was really hard to, it's hard to get to training every day even when you can't step out there and do the gym work and put in as much as everybody else is putting in. It's, it's really, really hard. Um, but my partner uh, in Brendan Major really encouraged me. He's like, your paintings are great. Why don't you just do a couple of a couple Collingwood players? Maybe ask if they'll sign them for you, um, and just see where it goes. So that's when I um, I got the idea to do a couple, just like in my style with the yeah. color. Uh, I talked with Mason Cox uh, a lot at Collingwood, and he was really supportive, especially being international as well. And um, he's like, "Yeah, paint it. Happy to sign it." A couple other boys did as well, and. Um, it really kind of spurred forth and people reacted well to them. And um, especially with the AFLW, um, parents and partners and family members are super proud that their little girls have grown up to be these big, strong women that are accomplishing this great feat and want some kind of example to pass down through the ages, something to really celebrate what they're doing. So it, it really worked out well, and nobody wants to be injured the way that I was or that some of the other girls have been. But this all wouldn't have come through if I hadn't. So it's that whole, you got to find a positive out of everything. So. How was that? year of 2017 because as you said you missed out on playing because of the knee you obviously kept yourself busy with the painting delisted at the end of that year also with the knee unfortunately you couldn't represent Canada out in the field for IC 17 and you're trying to because the Eastern Devils were not going to be in the VFLW for 2018 you're trying to find a new home as well at state league level is there almost a sense of being it lost? And how do you keep yourself motivated that I've got to keep myself fit, I've got to keep myself going to attack and go again and cross fingers for 2019? Uh, yeah, I I don't know if I really have a, a give up state of mind. I yeah. kind of always like push through and, mm. and even in my little moments of doubt, I surround myself with positive people that also help me get yeah. through it. Um, and I was offered a couple of opportunities to increase my football knowledge uh, in the off season and being Canadian, it's something I really needed to work on. So yeah, yeah. I was able to um, be an assistant coach for the under 18 Metro girls, um, met some phenomenal footy players there. Like the girls coming through are amazing. Um, helped out with Box Hill development side as a bench manager and then in the box. And I've come back with this football knowledge that I didn't have before and it was really like another blessing in disguise because it, it helps me out on the field. Um, maybe overthinking it a bit too much, but um, just kept on pushing through and like, you have to find something else to keep you occupied. Otherwise, 
Yeah. You know, it's going to get a bit monotonous. You were at Collingwood for that first year, so you've seen how they were developing the women's football culture there. You, of course, come to Essendon where you see how they're developing the women's football culture there for their first year when they go into the VFLW. Is there many similarities? Was it actually quite different between the clubs about how they're addressing things behind the scenes? Obviously, besides the difference of national and state league competition, are there similarities or are they quite different cultures? Um, I walked into Essendon not really knowing what it was going to be like, especially the VFL to AFL um, ratio, but uh, they've been amazing, and I've been treated like I was an AFLW player there. They treat us really similar to the VFL and AFL guys. Everybody at the club, doesn't matter if it's Warsfold to the CEO or the captain of the... Sound effects, that was Hannah Scott going by. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little smooch from her. Um, doesn't matter if it's one of the VFL guys, a trainer, who, whoever it is, they always say hi. They go out of their way to do so and feel really welcome there, even as a VFL women's side. It doesn't matter that we're female. They do everything for us and I'm super I've been super impressed and compared to Collingwood like it's really similar level and they're not discriminating on whether we're AFLW or VFLW they want to do it right and they are was there much talk about the way to introduce you back into the game after the two ACLs did they want you just to go right from the word go we'll start at Essendon or was there talk of maybe go down to the Eastern Devils and the South East League play a few games warm into it then come to Essendon um, so I was being courted by a couple teams um, mm. to go and play for them and uh, so it was four different teams that were looking at me so I had like some decisions to make but my main focus was somebody that was going to take care of my knee and not rush me into playing yeah. because I know I'm going to be eager to get back out there and if a coach yeah. says you're good to go then I'm going to get out there the first chance I get um, and with Essendon, they were like, no, we're taking our time with you. If you come here, you're not getting into full training right away. We're going to look at every aspect of, of what you're doing. They looked at my running, everything. Um, my feet, I, I couldn't believe how detailed they were to just make sure that they did everything possible to make sure that I was comfortable and I wasn't being rushed back. Um, and in terms of the Devils to Essendon, I, the first week that I was available, they put me in. Um, and I was a little bit hesitant and stuff. So then on weeks we had buys, um, I went back to local and I got to play for uh, Devils again, which I didn't think I was going to get that opportunity to pull on the Devils jumper again. It, end of last year was really, really hard for me to watch the girls run out there and the VFL was gone for them. So it was a really special moment and uh, it was a bunch of girls that I really love playing with um, that play for other VFL clubs yeah. now. So... Um, yeah, it's been kind of a mixed bag of Essendon and, and Devils, and I've loved every second. And I just said to the coaches and the, the training staff, I, I don't care what level it is, I'm just happy being back playing football again. How do you feel that there is now serious competition of who will be the first Canadian woman to play in the AFLW? You've got yourself that is trying to, in the draft, have it get picked up and hopefully finally play that first AFLW game. And you probably have serious competition in one Valerie Moreau. <laughs> They're not competition to me. And even the like, even though I want to be drafted, to me it's not a, a competition. And I don't know, it might sound weird, but in the end, I just want good footy to play or good footy to watch, whether I make it or not. Like, I'm just excited for football. Um, and if it's Canadians that come through and get drafted, I'm going to be stoked because like. 
it's not just been me here, it was also Amy Legault before me, um, just creating a pathway for the internationals coming through, and, and Laura used to be Corgan, um, creating those pathways, and I guess without us, it wouldn't have been um, as clear, and it doesn't matter who it is coming over, I didn't know Valerie Moreau before she came over, I was just like, like she drove to my place, I'm like, you're just staying here. I don't know who you are, but you're Canadian and I want to help you. And that's the way we are. We're like, we just want everybody to come over and love football as much as we do. <laughs> and one just last one before we let you go. Have you actually been in touch with your old side, the Hamilton Wildcats, back home? Yeah, so um, anytime that I go home, I always um, hang out with them. And it just happens the time of year that I go home is October and they always have their BNF, so I try and get to that. Meet some of the new girls and... Um, meet all the old players and I'll run into Jacqueline Halliday and Leah Vincent and um, hopefully they can come back to Australia because they were fantastic yeah. and uh, yeah and I even think that um, Valerie will be over at the same time so it's just like a big reunion of all the people that love football and yeah we just get around and, and talk about it. Well, Kendra, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations on the painting being on the front cover and the Sabrina Fitrick Torp painting also being on the back cover as well of the Women's Footy Almanac. All right, thank you, Peter. Here we are at the Women's Footy Almanac launch and we've got here Premiership footballer with the Western Bulldogs and model for the Women's Footy Almanac. She's on the front page. It is great to have Hannah Scott. Hannah, how you been during the off-season? Oh, I had a little holiday, went overseas, um, so that was nice, and then came back and played a couple of VFL games, so it's been, I mean, I needed the break, so that was good, and went over to Greece and Italy and got a tan, and I've quickly lost it. (laughs) Welcome back to the Melbourne sunshine. Yes. Let's step back for a moment. You obviously took up women's footy first, someone correct, with Howler. Yep. Oh. Parkdale was my first senior team. That's going back quite a long way, and which, of course, you took the road to get the Eastern Devils. Can you explain, just before this 2017 Premiership, the amount of football that you played, including when you throw the Women's Academy in there, over that period of about three to four years? It's uh, it's a bit crazy to think about it. I, uh, you know, I started from Southeast Division, and then I just sort of worked my way up, and the the way that the game's changed since then is, is quite unbelievable when you think about it and everyone just started getting more serious and before before you know it, we're, we've got VFL women's and, you know, I got drafted to the Bulldogs, so it all kind of happened, I don't know, in the blink of an eye, really. If I recall correctly, you were actually a late call-up for some of the exhibition matches going back a couple of years for the Bulldogs. What do you recall about that late phone call coming through saying... Get down to Eddie Hatch Stadium, get yourself a jumper, you're running out there. Well, yeah, I missed the first exhibition, I had a broken leg. Uh, and then, yeah, I got selected for the second one. And I didn't have a great game and was playing in a position I'd never played before. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make selection for the next one. And then someone broke their ankle. And, yeah, I got a call saying, you're up. So... I remember I just thought to myself, this is sort of a, an opportunity that you didn't think you were going to get. And I ended up coming on as a sub, probably the last ever female sub. And uh, yeah, I ended up having a, a pretty good half of football. So I think it was a little bit destined to be. 
can explain the mood in the camp between the 2017 and 2018 AFLW seasons. You didn't have a great year for the Doggies, finished down the bottom half of the ladder. Your captain, uh, Katie Brennan, that year also went down early with an ankle injury. What was said, what was talked about behind the scenes to turn the ship around? Uh, that what is done is done and, you know, we can only learn from it. I think that we had a really clear vision in our mind of what we wanted to achieve and it wasn't so much that we wanted to make sure we won a premiership but it was that we wanted to play footy that we were proud of and and play as as one unit and I think that that really showed throughout our season that that we were a really close-knit group and and pretty much we were putting it all on the line for each other and I think it also showed how much we respected Grosey for the changes he put in place. Final round of that season, you've just come off a loss against the GWS Giants. You're in essentially what is an elimination final against Melbourne. Howling winds blowing at the ground, leads swinging back and forward. What's going through your head in the final minutes of that game where you know you lose, that's it, it's over? I never thought we were going to lose it. And talking to a couple of the, the Doggies girls, they, they had the same feeling just felt like we were going to do what we had to do to get it done and you know took a few crucial marks late in the game and and uh we just we just held on and and when rookie kicked that goal and i remember i was the first one to get to her and i was just so ecstatic and, and happy for her too and i don't know we just believed as a group that we weren't going to lose that game because there was no other option it was a heck of a grand final week we all know the story when katie got rubbed out so she couldn't play. We hear the story that players don't leave social media, but we know in reality everyone takes a glance, everyone's on Twitter, Instagram, etc. What's it like trying to block that noise out of what's going on, will she play or won't she play, and getting down to the business of what you have to do on that Saturday? I think the way she was really helped. She wasn't sitting there going, poor me, poor me. She actually just put on a really brave face and um, cheered us on and she was just effectively like another coach and another support person and I think it just made a lot of people even hungrier to see how she was dealing with that um, in such an amazing way so we I think we pretty easily put that put that outside noise you know away and and just concentrated on what on the things we can control you survived the thriller against Melbourne and then in the dying moments of that grand final, Brisbane were coming again. What's the mood around the back line at that time of they're coming for us and the clock is ticking? We were quite a, a little bit of a quietly confident back line. I think not so much in in like a, you know, up, up yourself kind of way, but confident in each other. And when I knew that, you know, we had Ferris back there and I know that she would die before she let any ball through and lo and behold she got the last mark of the, of the game but you know just the players that we had back there I just had all the faith in the world in them and I think that sort of emanated around us and, and we're actually it wasn't too hectic we just knew what we had to do and I think it's nice when you have teammates like that that you can just know would do anything before they let that ball through to recall your thoughts or emotions the moment that siren sounded? Yeah, I remember I, I was just yelling out about Ferris. Just, you know, 
thank thank bloody god for Ferris. <laughs> um, yeah, and everyone just rushed in from everywhere, and I think it was just a little bit of relief, but just mainly just ecstatic, ecstatic for all the girls that the hard work. You know, it's a short season, but I think it. You know, pre-season goes for longer than the season, so you know you're working really hard for that outcome and. To turn it around like that for Grovesy and, and get the win for him when, you know, we had a, a poor season the year before, it was, yeah, yeah it, it all felt pretty amazing. How do you feel that, what, 20 minutes later you're coming off the ground with the Premiership Cup, it gets taken as a photo, it's just spur of the moment, but now you're looking at that photo in two ways. One, a painting by a good friend and former teammate of yours, Kendra Heil, and another way, on the front of the book that's celebrating the season that was 2018 yeah I mean it was a very spur, spur of the moment I just was walking in and saw my you know another one who's supported women's footy for a long time in in Russ and I just couldn't I don't know I couldn't contain the jubilation like I said I couldn't believe I was the one walking in with it that was pretty cool um, but yeah to see it to see it painted by by Kenny and also just really proud of her and you know to see some of the work that she's done and obviously I've seen it for the past couple of years and it's just great that it's finally you know hitting a bit of a bigger stage and, and she's getting recognised for it because it's absolutely astounding the, the work that she can do. Um, she's doing a mural every time she goes back home to Canada slowly taking over a bedroom and, and that you know the progress picture of that is, is pretty special so um, and then there's the book and you know, to see people so passionate about something that you yourself are, you know, you never thought you were going to play, but the passion that I have for footy and to see other people sort of embracing that and, and also feeling that is, yeah, it's a very special moment. On the lighter side, what was your Mad Monday costume? I was dressed as, I was probably dressed as how I felt, which was as an old man. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't really look like myself, but I was in pyjamas, walking stick and... So you dressed up as grovesy? <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't have red hair. Um, my, my hair colour was probably more your, more your shade. Oh dear, that's, that's a frightening thought. <laughs> One last thought. I said it hit you at any moment yet that in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, you'll be coming back for your Premiership reunion. It was something that we spoke about pretty soon after the game when we sort of just went back and had our, our own little private team reflection and Grovesy mentioned it. He just said, you know, I think what, one of the coolest things is that in 10 years we all get to come back and, and we have that thing to celebrate together and excuse to, to drink a whole lot of beers and reminisce about the year that was. So, yeah, to, to share something with a group of people and that you've all worked really hard for and, and the thought of going back in 10 years and you know you want a premiership with these people it's yeah I think it it probably won't probably hit me until it happens and one bonus point before we let you go your feelings on the Eastern Devils your old club taking out the division one in the Southeast Women's Football League back to back yeah, yeah. it's pretty special they're a, you know a club that's full of, of great people and you know, it's the, probably the reason I'm playing AFL now is is that I met uh, Lou Watton 
she saw me play and told me I was crazy and uh, I ended up playing there and you know they they sort of built me into the player that I am so yeah a lot of love for that club and, and the people there and those sort of people they do build great clubs and yeah they, they do make you want to strive to be better. Well Hannah thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations what's well, been a great 2018. Well done on getting your face on the book of the Women's Footy Almanac and all the very best for your pre-season coming up for the 2019 season. Thank you. Like I said, thank God Kendra can make anyone look good. And joining us here, the co-editor of the Women's Footy Almanac for 2018. She was your host and MC of the Women's Footy panel, which you may have heard on RSN Carnival several months ago. It is great to have back again Casey Simons. Casey, how are you? I am super, super well, Peter. How are you? You've got a grin from ear to ear because after all that time, after all that effort, your book is officially launched. I just can't even describe what it feels like to be holding that book in my hands, Peter. It's been a long time that we've been working on it. It's taken us almost all year to pull it together and just to have it in my hands is just the best feeling in the world. I'm so proud of it. Now, we know that articles have gone up on the site throughout the year, but can you just give us a bit of an idea into the time and effort of not only just editing those articles that got put on the website, but then eventually to put it to paper, then to publish it to now have it available for sale? Yeah, the process takes a long time. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, so yeah, we start working uh, during the season. So we have a lot of writers who are writing their match reports fresh from the game. They go up on our website and we have them there for people to view. And then we sort of select the cream of the crop and we decide which ones we want to put in print in the book. And then that goes through an editing process. And then we also reach out to some of our other writers to re uh, write some feature pieces for us. And that whole process takes a little while, a couple of months, and then we go through another editing process and then it takes forever to proofread as well because we want to make sure there's no mistakes in the book. And then we also um, sort of compile the stats at the end of the book as well. So we have player profiles and all the stats from the season, so that takes a lot of checking as well. So yeah, it takes months and months of work to put it together, but finally we have it. <laughs> and then of course the crucial decision. What makes the actual book? You know, who gets in? Yeah, I think we do try to be really inclusive of all our writers that put up their hand to write for us and make sure they all get in. Um, and a lot of our writers do write multiple pieces for us as well. So we have a lot of quality content. So it is hard to make those mm. final decisions. But I think we just try to cover all the gains, all the issues and try and get as many people in there as possible because we want as many diverse voices covering the game as possible too. We talk about quality content. Talk us about the Caulfield Bears player who wrote for the Women's Footy Albanac. Oh, Violet Dunn, what a little legend. Um, she came about from uh, Jasmine Conrad, who was on our front cover of the 2017 book, who played for the Caulfield Bears. And she's kind of recruited some of her friends to start writing some pieces. And Violet sent in an article that she wrote about playing footy and told us about her nickname, Hoofer, which we thought was hilarious. She got called Hoofer because she had a good hoof on her. She had a good <laughs> kick. So um, much to the chagrin of her mother, who thinks it's a bit of a funny nickname for a young daughter to have, but Violet loves it. And the piece she wrote was just so genuine and fresh and wonderful. We were just like, yep, this is the future of women's footy. We're going to have Violet in the book. And I think she's just an absolute star. We're so happy to have her part of the family. The one thing that stood out to me, and we raced it in the interview when we were talking with Kirby Fenwick, who has also written for the book, she at age 31 was playing her first ever season mm -hmm. of women's football, playing at Redam. We talked about, we said the thing that we're not quite sure had existed as much in women's football was seen to be unique to men's sports of on-field and off-field, that male bonding, that club bonding. Kirby agreed with that, and then literally moments later, 
a young, what is she, 12, 13 years old? 12 years old, 12 yeah. 12 years old. Violet comes out there. The question you asked, oh, what do you like about footy? The answer back, the team bonding. Yeah, isn't that just beautiful? And that just sort of comes back to what's really beautiful and pure about sport is just how it brings yeah. people together. And whether it's on the field or off the field, like that's how I feel about the Footy Almanac community is the bond that it brings you to other riders and other people who are passionate about what you're doing. And I think that's just a really great message of team sport. So finally, the book has been published. How has it been received to the first couple of people you've given copies to? I'm really happy to say that it's all been really positive feedback. Um, unfortunately, Bobby McCumber couldn't uh, be our MC at the event tonight. She had a uh, family issue she had to go to, but she got to read the book ahead of time to prepare for tonight. And she um, had a chat to me on Sunday and she was just like, this just takes me right back to the season. Did just she make the first game this time? <laughs> she, she missed it last time. And that was, of course, the theme to last year's footy almanac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she had a tragic circumstance tonight, so that's all good. But um, no, she just sort of said to me, like, it's just, it's like a time capsule. It takes you back, but also it, like, it brings you forward because we talk about the issues that are still really prevalent in um, in women's footy as well. And I've had a couple of people who have said to me they're really happy to see that, like, we're talking about the conversations around the game too, that we've got this record of all the games. Um, I was actually just talking to someone outside who was telling me he was just reading Play On um, by Rob Hess and Brunette, Brunette Lenchik and he said part of you know that book is they find really frustrating is they have to make these generalisations because we don't have these historical records of all these games um, and that's what we're really trying to do here too is we believe that women who are playing football deserve to have these games documented in a way that covers how they play, covers more than just the results at the end of the game covers the passion surrounding the game and covers the issues of the time because we haven't had that sort of coverage of women's sport before. So I think it's just a really important document that we've pulled together and I'm just so thrilled that people are seeing it that way too. Is that the advantage of the Women's Footy Almanac that although the writers are not AFL accredited media who get the access behind closed doors, being without that accreditation means the censorship isn't there, which usually comes with that accreditation, that they can write what they feel dare I say, the line from the footy almanac, right from the heart. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I think the, um, the right from the heart really sums up what this book is about. And I think you don't need to be an accredited uh, media professional to write these stories and to know the game. And, and these are the fans' voices that we're telling in this book. And I think the pieces just speak for themselves with their passion and also their footy knowledge. And I mean... I do have an AFL media pass, so I was very fortunate this season that I could go into the rooms and speak to some of the players, and some of those interviews are in the book. But I think that just because I was able to speak to some players and get some really great quotes from some stars of the game doesn't discount some of the other writing in the book. I think there are a lot more better pieces in the book than mine, and they're definitely passionate and definitely knowledgeable, and I think that's our advantage, and I think that's why our book is so special and why I'm so proud of it. It's another name on the book. Can you describe a bit, Roby? Oh, Yvette Roby. Um, I like to call her my patron saint and that's because she's a diehard St Kilda supporter and she's a patron to the Women's Footy Almanac. She um, donates a lot of time, effort and support to us and she also supports women's football. She sponsors a lot of players and she's just a warrior for women in sports. So being able to work with her this year and have her as a mentor and someone just to keep pushing me and supporting me and just helping me achieve my dreams, I just can't speak highly enough of that woman. I just think she's just this absolute little in and under player in women's footy she just supports everyone and she's just always there waiting for the ball and just ready to take charge she's an absolute dynamo 
Well, Casey, once again, congratulations on the success of the Women's Footy Almanac 2018. It's launched, it's popular, there's been plenty of people at the table getting the book and, more importantly, getting signed copies from Hannah Scott and Bonnie Tugut, who happened to come here tonight. Congratulations once again. And dare I say, in a couple of months, you'll be at it again for season 2019. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Peter, and I can't wait to start working on the next one. And joining us here for the Women's Footy Almanac launch at the North Fitzroy Arms, it's great to have a person that we know very well. She was a contributor for quite a while, for I think at least two seasons worth, at the former Girls Play Footy website. Now, of course, a contributor to the Footy Almanac and, dare I say, Premiership medalist. We'll talk about that a little bit later on with the Redan Football Club. It's great to have Kirby Fenwick. Kirby, how are you? I'm actually feeling a little, little dusty today. Uh, post... <laughs> post-premiership celebrations, but wrapped to be here. Yes, indeed. I just want to jump on that very quickly. You played for the Redan Football Club this year. Can you tell us, not just grand final day, where you were the warrior carrier on the day, but the experience for someone like yourself at your age, you said, I'm going to take up women's football. You did the full pre-season, and then obviously playing this year in the AFL Goldfields competition. It's... It's been one of the best experiences of my life, really. Um, as you said, I was uh, 31 when I decided to. to a young-looking 31. A young-looking 31. Let's thank make... you, thank you. <laughs> but I was 31, and I turned 32 halfway through the season, and that made me the oldest person on my team. But um, it it was incredible. Just I don't know. It's kind of changed my whole relationship with footy. Like I thought I had a really solid relationship with the game, but. Um, it's just sort of deepened and strengthened and taken on a, a whole kind of different dimension after having actually stepped out onto a field and and laid a tackle and received a tackle and you know done all those sorts of things. So it's um it's been incredible and I've no doubt I will write about it. I want to ask you the question on that. It's a question we actually rarely ask anyone that we've had on our show over the last four years. But is it is an eye-opening thing for women this? I guess, bonding that male men have had for many years that has been through football and football clubs, not just playing together on the field, but everything that goes socially and how you hang out together during the week, etc. as a club. Does that open up your eyes to something? I mean, I'm not sure if you've played netball or hockey or any other sport in the background, but to that kind of bonding culture that football has? Yeah, I have never played any kind of organised team sports before, so this was my first experience. And absolutely, I feel like I've got 30 new mates. Um, and there are just a great bunch of girls up at Redan. Um, you know, quite a few of them have played footy for a lot of years. We had some celebrations this year of 100 games and 150 games. And I mean, that's pretty incredible, I think, in the women's footy space. But yeah, it's, um, it's a really wonderful kind of environment to be a part of. And, and you're right, that kind of bonding thing that comes with being a part of a group like that. Um, it's a really special thing, and I'm, I'm just really glad that I got to experience it. We'll come back on to things with Dan in just a moment, but let's step to the Voice in the Stand series, which you began back in 2017 on the uh, Girls Play Footy website. It's crossed over to the Women's Footy Almanac come 2018. What gave the actual inspiration behind it? Because everyone else that wants to write footy is talking about players, praising them, bagging them, whatever. Why did you want to take that perspective of what's happening in the outer? I think because that's always been the space that I've occupied. I've always been the fan sitting in the stand. So it kind of made sense for me to write from that perspective. Um, 
So yeah, it was a it's bit of a no-brainer. That's that's where I was sitting out in, the, out in the grandstands, the and so that's what I was going to. Um, that's the space I was going to ride from. And I was just lucky that girls play footy were happy to have me do that. So we talk about you riding a voice in the stand for girls play footy. What was the immediate reaction like from those on social media to your series? Gosh, it's a little while ago now, but um, I think it was mostly positive. I think people kind of um, appreciated my attempts to inject some some emotion, some, some feeling into the game. Not that it's not already there, um, but I think I'm the kind of writer that writes with my pen slash heart firmly affixed to my sleeve, and I think that's pretty obvious. And I guess if you're a footy fan, you can connect with that, that kind of emotion that comes through with my work, and I think, pe I hope that people appreciate that. Talking that emotion, you're a Western Bulldogs fan. I am. You've obviously seen the tough times and then the good times at last on the men's side of the fence. Do you notice any difference between those that followed the Bulldogs men's side to the feeling around those that followed the women's side to their eventual premiership? I think for me, um, I'm not sure if I can speak for other people, but I think for me, you know, the AFLM premiership was like kind of come out of the blue a little bit. Um, you know, it was a month of some of the most remarkable football I've ever seen in my life. Um, but the AFLW Premiership was just, um, it was different because it was women. You know, and I've, I've been watching footy my entire life, but I've been watching men play football my entire life, or boys. So to see people that look like me, although admittedly younger, fitter, stronger, et cetera, et cetera, get out there and, and, um, and win a flag was, it's just incredible. How can you, I guess, weigh up the two? When we look to the men's side, obviously the men's game has got a long history. The Bulldogs had that long history on the men's side building up to that flag, particularly when the club almost merged. There's so many preliminary final heartbreak. There's something evolved in that emotion of when they won in 2016 because of the build-up. For the women, I for the supporters of the Bulldogs Football Club, it was only year two of the women's flag. So they, the torture, those tough years on the women's side hasn't been there. But then again, how do you mix that, I guess, with I the women the women that obviously are waiting to just let alone put a side on the field, let alone? Absolutely. And I, I can't really try and separate it because as a Bulldog supporter, that's just our story. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who's pulling on the jumper, that's what you put on when you put on that red, white and blue jumper, is that history. So I can't really separate it, not that I really try. But you, you make an excellent point, and I think um, even though the AFLW is only two seasons old, we know that there is a hundred years of history, a hundred years of untold stories, and I think that lends the AFLW a real, uh, a real power because they're building on that. And as people are discovering those stories, I think that is kind of deepening their relationship with women's football and, and making it even more significant to people individually. Like all things run by volunteers, unfortunately there comes an expiry day. And so did with girlsplayfooty.com. It ended just before the grand final, rather ironically, uh, back in March. 
had to come about to your series finding a home with the footy almanac and ultimately you being published in the women's footy almanac yeah um i think it was just my existing relationship with yvette and casey um and i really wanted to write that final piece it kind of felt like it needed to be written um it just would have felt a little bit unfinished not only my work but the entire season for me so i really needed to write it and and luckily it found a home in the footy almanac and uh which is a wonderful organization for wonderful people and i'm just really glad that it it got to find that space and it, it lives somewhere we chatted to you at the start of the year when you had the first friday in february documentary series which were funded for and produced can you explain what the reaction has been to that it's been out now for what a good eight nine months now yeah the response has been really positive i think um people just kind of enjoyed being able to go back to that night and re relive their memories and other people's memories as well um, it's actually going to be archived so um, that's in the process of happening at RMIT University which is my university and also um, hopefully at the State Library of Victoria we can get that across so that's really great I actually listened to it for the first time since January last week and I was a little bit hesitant you know because it had been a while and I thought oh is it does it hold up you know it, it has a a place in my mind and it's like is the real thing going to live up to it but um it did and i was really uh i was smiling and uh, a few tears as i was listening to it and no the, the response has been really great and um it's just another one of those things you know another one of those building blocks for the story of women's football you know you put it out into the world and you make sure that in 50 or 100 years time the story of that night and that first season isn't forgotten so obviously you'll be running for season 2019 we hope the series continues what's the forecast ahead is it optimism because geelong and north melbourne into the competition a bunch of new fans or is it dark clouds ahead because there's uncertainty on the length of the season rule changes yet again what do you envisage for 2019 if only i had a crystal ball paint into it and tell you no look I, I think it's a bit of both um there is that sort of excitement of new teams and it's like what are Geelong and North Melbourne going to do, especially North Melbourne, having raided some lists, but we won't talk about that. Certainly not salty. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both because there is that sort of excitement and, and, and it's just, you know, AFLW is coming around again and it's always such a great time of year and I, I just jump straight into that bubble and, and love every second of it. But there is a little bit of that sort of... Um, concern about about what's going to happen you know are we going to end up playing some sort of what did what did Daisy Pierce say Mickey, Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse tournament yes um, which would be really disappointing I think the players and the fans deserve better than that so I'm hoping that um, some sense will prevail and we will get an actual proper competition where every team plays each other once and then ideally we'd have a, a final series um, so I'm, I'm trying to stay hopeful um, but there's definitely that excitement you know just to, to have the season come around again and to be able to see my bulldogs take to the field again to get back to Witten Oval absolutely and finally I'll ask for a quick tip as we enter the VFLW finals oh, Collingwood, Hawthorne, Geelong, NT Thunder are the sides that's left who'll win it that's a tough one I think I reckon they've all had pretty decent seasons I think Hawthorne's had a pretty great season Hawthorne's um, been second. Collingwood's only dropped the one game 
Um, geez. You know, I have a friend that plays for Geelong, so my, my heart probably says Geelong, but I, I honestly think it's probably going to come down to Hawthorne or Collingwood. We'll, uh, we'll take out the Premiership, but uh, we shall see. Gabby, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Congratulations on being published and the book, and all the best for another Voice in the Stand series come 2019. Thank you so much. And joining us now at the North Fitzroy Arms, the man, the myth, the legend, John Harms of the Footy Almanac. John, congratulations on the second edition of the Women's Footy Almanac. Thanks, mate, but I think all congratulations go to uh, Casey and, and Yvette, who've done a fantastic job putting this together. Now, let's go back a little bit. Let's go for the backstory of the Footy Almanac. How did that all originally come about? Oh, 12 years ago, I'm, I'm interested in fan writing, getting people to write about their experience and write about their love of the game and write about the game itself. And there's a lot of very capable people who wouldn't necessarily have opportunity to do that through mainstream media or whatever. But with the rise of um, the internet and blogging, and as we know, there's, anyone can have a crack. So yeah. it was a matter of aggregating it. And uh, we started with a couple of books, 2007, 2008, and then emerged this website. Um, which uh, has become a platform for people who are keen writers. And that's an excellent point. How much of a risk was it to try and step out there to create a website, to create a book, knowing that the flood of information that's now out there on the World Wide Web and any old Johnny can have a, his opinion? Well, you know, we're a commercial venture, but we're not. We're a sustainable yeah. venture, really. We're yeah. just trying to find enough um, support through sponsorship and the sale of books and um, members to our site uh, and, and even readers who make a monthly contribution if they feel that they love the thing and, and we have a lot, you know, quite a few who do. Um, we especially have members who write for us. Uh, so those contributions together allow us to um, put on a few editors. Um, so Casey Simons is one of our editors, Jared Landles is another one, Cole Ritchie. Um, and then we have a squad of volunteer editors because it's very labour-intensive to do it and that's how we're able to publish our 50 or 60 pieces a week. And because it's so many, um, you get such a variety of voices and you get this diversity which you wouldn't necessarily get, uh, again, in mainstream media. Before the 2017 AFLW season, the inaugural season, when was the seed first sown of, A, we need to cover AFLW, and B, then the eventual idea, we need to put everything together in a book. Yeah, well, uh, if we were doing it for the blokes, why wouldn't we do it yep. for the women? So as soon as AFLW was established uh, and was definitely going to be happening, Yvette Roby just said, right, let's have a crack at this. Let's, let's see who's interested. And we got through the website, people um, who were keen, and they had friends and one thing led to another, very similar to the way that the Men's Almanac started in 2007. And with the drive of some people behind it, um, Stephanie Connell, who was then a master's student, she was involved as well, uh, Yvette herself. Um, I got involved having had a bit of experience doing it obviously. And it built momentum and uh, we got the book out there. And it had a fantastic cover by Kate Birrell which included Erin Phillips, who of course had a fantastic year, um, Sabrina Frederick-Traub and Jasmine, who was our under-11s player from Caulfield Bears, who was here tonight again for the second launch, but she represented the future of women's and girls' football. 
Do you notice any difference in the style of writing and approach that those take to the women's game compared to the men's? Yeah, it's a really interesting element to it that because the AFL men's competition is so established and has such big followings on the basis of club, the club element really dominates the writing, the passion for the club. There is an inherent love of the game present in the reports and there's also a sort of sense of humour around it as well. In the women's footy, the first year, 2017, was really about how good is this? We've got women's football occurring in a national league. We've got it with media presence. At that stage, strong mainstream media presence. And there was that celebration that women's footy was so um, exposed and there was opportunity for all of those gender issues around it were so important to it. Uh, it was a great moment for women's football, for women's sport, and and for women generally. And we saw the result of that. The Almanac was just a small part of it, but in the massive increase in the number of women's and girls' teams at the end of that 2017 season, it's just been phenomenal. And the positivity around it and the sense of promise around it um, which, which led into the 2018 season has been really tremendous. Unfortunately, there's been a few hiccups in the 2018 season in the, and there, there is some critique of that as there, sh there should be in terms of media coverage, in terms of interference from uh, headquarters. And so we have people writing about that. We have different views and that's, a, that's, yeah. that's um, different, I mean, in the sense of a variety of views. Uh, but that's the beauty of it. We have that variety. Is that a clear theme throughout 2018? Because as you mentioned, 2017 had all the spark to it. It's brand new. Everything's brand new. 2018, as we go into 2019, okay, in 2019, there will be two expansion teams, but everything's now settling in, bedding in. Things are not a first anymore. Look, I can, I can understand why there has been strong critique of the 2018 season, but at the same time, I would be much more positive personally positive about it because the season still happened if you compare it to 2016 when the season didn't happen you you do you do have a season happening so yeah. for all the criticism of it there's people still playing for a premiership and the bulldogs won that premiership there is a home and a well there's a, a season of seven matches you've got people getting to know the players more and more you've got the gradual elevation uh, in the skills and tactics of the game. You've got all of the things that people love about the game expressed in this 2018 season. So I've been strong on keeping, not that there's been any editorial interference, yeah, people no, write yeah. what they like, but um, making sure that we don't forget that was actually a fantastic season yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, sure, there were issues, but let's keep both in mind. Can you give us an idea amongst the percentages of new writers that have come on board to write for the women's game and, and possibly an increase in readership online to the Footy Almanac website as a result of women's football? Yeah, it's interesting too. Um, it's something we're dealing with at the moment is, is how we best present that uh, because we're a very inclusive site. So is there a need to separate... Uh, men's footy coverage from women's footy coverage or do we just say here we all are on the one site and let's write about whatever it is we want to write about. Uh, 
inevitably we we might be perceived as having started with the men's footy as a whole lot of blokes talking to each other yeah. about footy but you know our stats show us that we've got a strong component of certainly women contributors and women readers um, that we have readers across the age groups uh, and that the coverage of, of women's footy is dependent on people writing about it you know it's we don't commission we say oh, okay if you're keen have a crack yeah so we're not push 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 so during aflw yes very strong um during the main season during the vflw and the general community women's footy season we've had less coverage but we would certainly love to work to to build that the Women's Footy Almanac has been officially launched on Tuesday, the 4th of September 2018. Obviously, those that are listening are keen to get a copy. Where do they get their hands on it? Uh, best to get it through our website, www.footyalmanac.com.au. Uh, it'll be front and centre there. Um, go to our shop uh, and, yes, purchase as many as you like. They're great gifts. But, look, if you are part of a club or an organisation... We, we've had a lot of clubs last year used it as gifts to players, to officials, to volunteers, uh, and so on. So we're happy to, to and, and as fundraisers, so we're happy to give it to clubs for basically cost price with a view to... We just want the word out there. Yeah. You know, we want to see this discourse around women's footy broaden and broaden and broaden. Uh, and so that's our main approach at the moment. So if you're keen, buy one for you and your family. But also, if you're involved in a club, certainly there's opportunity. Just contact us. John, thanks once again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations on the book. And uh, we look forward to the 2019 copy in about 12 months' time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that concludes our interviews from the North Fitzroy Arms Hotel for the launch of the Women's Footy Almanac. Time to find out what's been happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And joining us on the line is our regular reporter in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Semi-finals football is here and it produced two close ones. First of all, Macquarie University in the major semi-final, 4-2-26, getting over the line against UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 3-1-19. Yeah, look, uh, very close game there, as uh, as we predicted. Um, where MacUni, I suppose, really won it was the third quarter. Um, MacUni scored a goal in every quarter. Um, however, in the third quarter, they... Um, they held UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, uh, well, not just goalless, but scoreless as well. So, uh, you know, in a game that in the end was decided by uh, seven points, a goalless quarter um, is, quite a, is, is quite a big thing. But, yeah, look, tough contested footy um, all throughout the day. Goal kickers for MacUni were two to uh, Laura Russell, who uh, took out the leading goal kicker award for the home and away season, and one each to Ellie uh, Brush and, uh, and Kate Sutcliffe. And uh, yeah, and goal kickers for the Bulldogs were McGee, Privatelli, and Still. So um, sort of the usual suspects there in the goals. Um, same with the best players. Usual suspects. You've got Brush, Lawrence, Steen in the best players uh, for Mac Uni and uh, Corkiono, Gemma Still, and and uh, yeah, Jasmine Smith in the best players for UNSW. So um, definitely what we expected there. Uh, a close final, uh, McBeanie through to the grand final in, uh, yeah, two weeks and uh, UNSW um, have to back up and, and play again. So, um, but, yeah, fantastic game of footy, Peter. 
in the elimination semi-final. Auburn Penrith Giants 6-5-41 defeated the Southern Power 5-8-38 in unusual circumstances. What was um, interesting and, and I suppose the unique or controversial circumstances about this win um, is that at half time, uh, Power was slow to get out of the rooms and uh, weren't on the field when the umpires were ready to start the third quarter. So uh, the umpires blew their whistles and, and play started and, and the Auburn Penrith side actually kicked a goal whilst um, Southern Power weren't even on the field. So Power managed to scramble um, back out, you know, onto the ground and uh, into position. But, uh, yeah, look, they uh, Auburn Giants, or sorry, Auburn Penrith Giants ended up winning by three points. And um, so that goal they kicked whilst Power weren't on the field was... Uh, well, I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but um, it, it's obviously played a, a big part in their win. And um, But, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever seen anything like that yourself, Peter. Can't say I have. I mean, we've, we've heard of that as footy folklore, but I've never seen that actually happen. I've seen teams come out late from uh, the rooms at halftime and the umpires having to run down to the rooms and blow the whistles and yell to get them to hurry up and, and come on out there. And I think I saw Darabin Falcons do it once, come out late, uh, from half time after the hurry up, and then proceeded still to do their warm up and then get into position. But I've never actually seen uh, well, the umpire well, say play on and get the game started. Well, yeah, and look, I've never, and I've been a you know footy follower my whole life, and and local footy and and lots of different levels. But yeah, don't recall seeing anything uh, anything like this. So um, look, technically, I'm I'm not really sure what the ruling is, but I suppose you've got to have the faith in the umpires that you know they're they're doing the right thing there. Um, so, yeah, look, obviously disappointing for power. Um, I had predicted a Giants win by sort of two or three goals, but, uh, look, power definitely um, played one of their, their best games of the year. But, um, yeah, look, in the end it wasn't enough. Um, they were up until about the 10-minute mark of the last quarter. Um, but, yeah, just, just couldn't hold on for that win and, and went goalless in the um, in the last quarter, which obviously was disappointing for them. Um, goal kickers for the Auburn Penrith Giants were Jacqueline Gay with three. Um, she's had a, a great year up forward. Renee Tompkins with two. Um, I mean, look, she can play anywhere on the field. And Leal Kassem, the other one. Uh, Powers goal kickers were Rihanna Lotta with two. Um, it's got Christy DePellegrini down here, but I believe that may have been an error and it was one of the other girls. Um, and Jacqueline Bresnahan. And uh, Beck Sadler got the uh, singles as well. So, look, disappointing way. It's always disappointing to lose the finals, but particularly in the fashion power did. Um, so it's definitely going to be a long pre-season for them with that finish um, hanging over their heads. But uh, onwards and upwards for the Giants, and uh, they take on, yeah, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs uh, next weekend in the prelim. Yes, that happening at 2.20pm Saturday, the 8th of September at Blacktown International Sports Park, Oval Number 1. Who's your tip between the Bulldogs and the Giants? Uh, look, this is pretty easy to tip for me. Um, I think the Bulldogs are, uh, look, they're a significantly more experienced side, um, particularly uh, in finals footy. Um, they've got, you know, more AFLW listed players as well. Um, I think they'll, they'll win quite comfortably. Um, and I think uh, they'll, yeah, they'll go on to uh, take on Mackey Uni in the grand final. Um, I, I think Auburn Penrith will be quite competitive early on, um, but I'd be expecting the Bulldogs to break away with it in the second half. Well, Lauren, thanks very much again for joining us here on uh, Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week to review the preliminary final and find out who takes on Macquarie University in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division grand final.
Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and uh, good luck with your calls for the weekend. Turning our attention to the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition, preliminary final over the weekend, Balconnen 4-7-31, went down to Quimbian 5-10-40. That means the grand final in the Canberra First Grade Women's Competition is Sunday, 9th September, 6pm at UNSW Canberra Oval, Eastlake versus Quimbian. Good luck to both teams in the Canberra First Grade Women's Grand Final. As we go to the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, the semifinals were played over the weekend. We're in the second semifinal. Glenorchy 1-5-11 went down to Clarence 3-12-30. And in the first semifinal, Launceston 17-12-144 accounted for the Tigers 1-1-7. And that means next up is the preliminary final, and that will see Glen Orkey up against Launceston for the winner to take on Clarence the following week. Now time to find out what's happening in the Swiss Wellness VFR Women's Competition. We're looking ahead to semi-finals football, and joining us on the line is our league caller here at RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Not too bad, Pete. Looking forward to the first weekend of the VFLW finals after the week off. It felt a bit weird, a, a bit of a pause in play, but we're back into the thick of things this uh, Saturday and Sunday at Northport Oval. Stannard Stadium as they're dubbing it for the uh, final series. And we begin uh, looking at the major semi-final now. This game is starting rather early because it's before the men's game, which needs to be over and done with before the AFL finals start. So we start at 10.15 in the morning. It is Collingwood versus Hawthorne in the major semi-final for the right to go direct to the grand final. Yeah, big game this one. Uh, Hawthorne were very impressive coming into the last few rounds of the home and away season. They recorded uh, a good victory against the Northern Territory Thunder up there. They beat Geelong on the home deck to secure a second spot on the ladder. Collingwood in a similar vein of form as well. So both these sides were red hot coming into the week off. How that plays coming out the other side of it. I think raises a question mark, as I alluded to last week. I'm not sure who this bye week actually favours because everyone uh, was building uh, quite nicely towards the last month of footy. So um, curious to see how that occurs. These two sides, they faced off against each other very early in the year, uh, back in round five of the competition. And on that day, it was Collingwood getting the chocolates, 4-4-28, defeating Hawthorne. 3-3-21. 3-3-21. It was the Hawks' first loss for the season, that one, a game that many predicted that they would actually win. So Collingwood uh, causing a bit of upset. We know that they went on to only lose the one game for the year. Um, I don't know whether you can read much into that result, considering it was so early on and considering the sides that we've seen progress and uh, evolve over the course of the season. Um, going to be a very even matchup. I'm going to go with Collingwood, but that's only because they finished top spot on the ladder. I think Hawthorne are a real chance to win this and a real chance to go straight through to the grand final in a couple of weeks' time. I'm going with the Hawks by 14 points. You just have this feeling that the Hawks have got a number of veterans in there such as Meg Hutchins and Phoebe McWilliams, that are looking for that state league premiership. This is 
I think the time where they're going to dig deep and drag their side over the line in a very tough contest. I think because Collingwood's a younger side, they don't quite have the hurt yet, particularly for some of those younger players of losing that big final and what it means. And I think for, as I said, with McWilliams and uh, with, with Hutchins and quite a number of other veterans that are in that Hawthorne side, they've got the scars from those finals losses. And I think that they know that they're clicking together at the right time. They sniff an opportunity. And I think this is the time that the Hawks take the pies. Could that be the same result in the grand final? Who knows? But I think the Hawks will earn the ticket straight through. I uh, I agree with you 100%. I definitely think that's a possibility. But I also flip to the other side of the coin. Because uh, at the top of the tree at the pies, you've got someone who has been uh, with the St Kilda Sharks for a number of years. I think she was playing on the day last year where Darabin knocked them out of uh, the preliminary final. Penny Kilda-Reed, the other person that's fairly influential on that list and no doubt will be playing over the next couple of weeks, Steph Kiochi, the former captain of Diamond Creek. So there's a couple of experienced players, one on the field, one off it for Collingwood, and then, as you detailed, a, a number of experienced veterans on the Hawthorne list that have been at this pointy end of the season and have been dealt blows from the mighty Darabin Falcons in the past. So there's a lot of hunger at stake and I just get the sense that might be that younger, fresher legs running through. Having said that, Hawthorne have a number of young youngsters as well that are absolute stars, but I just, I don't know, I get, I've got a feeling that Collingwood might just get their noses in front. I think it's only going to be under a goal. I think we're in for a very close match. Finally, on Sunday at 11.45am against Stannard Stadium, otherwise known as Northport Oval, it is the match between the NT Thunder and the Geelong Cats. It's the elimination semi-final. The winner will play next week against the loser of Collingwood and Hawthorne, and the loser is out of there. Who will win this game between the Red Hot Thunder and I guess Apache Geelong, I mean, yes, they're in fourth position, quite comfortable above the others, but they've dropped a couple of games that they maybe should have won. Yeah, I think when you look back at the 2018 season and you look at uh, the way that Geelong has performed, yes, they've had some comprehensive victories along the way, but there have been a couple of games uh, scattered throughout the season that they were a chance to win. They probably should have won, given the, the form that they showed early on. Um, unfortunately, though, they didn't, um, and it's ended up uh, with them being fourth on the ladder. Having said that, they're, they're certainly not a wipe off the park when it comes to being a contender in 2018. They're certainly able to match it with the top sides of the competition. Their opponents this weekend, as you alluded to, they've been a, a dominant side of the competition throughout 2018, the Northern Territory Thunder, a star-studded list that features uh, some of the top talent from the Northern Territory and, of course, heavily influenced by the Adelaide Crows women's side. A uh, number of players play a part of this Thunder one throughout the winter season, so there's some not just some, there's a lot of talent on this list that's uh, very experienced when it comes to the top level of football. I think a detriment coming into this game uh, is the fact that the Thunder haven't played for two weeks. And I think for me, that's uh, a fairly big chunk of time. Yes, you, 
no doubt going to have all the training and uh, match simulation uh, being conducted during that break. But I just I, I question not only the fact that they've had the two weeks off, but in the travel, we've been anticipating that at some point throughout the season that the travel was going to hit them. It hasn't at this stage. I wonder whether it's a little speed hump and whether that just causes them to get off on the back foot. Having said that, when we called Geelong uh, against the Western Bulldogs after their bye earlier in the year, they were absolutely wiped off the park. So they haven't got great form coming in after a week off either. These two sides, they faced each other back in round nine and it was a comprehensive victory on that occasion. In fact, it was the week after the Cats got wiped off the park by the Bulldogs. Uh, 13-7-85, the Thunder defeating the Cats 2-8-20. I think the tables are going to be reversed this time around. I think uh, Geelong will win, uh, which will be a disappointing way for the Thunder to end what has been a very impressive season from them. I'm going with the NT Thunder to win comfortably by five goals. I think they will turn it on. I think the rest will do them well. I don't like the look of Geelong coming off a week off like they did against the Bulldogs and they got done up in Ballarat. My concerns with Geelong are we saw them in that second last round where they were very slow out of the blocks against the Casey Demons before they finally got going and put them away. Um, They couldn't get over Hawthorne at Box Hill City Oval. And I think the Thunder are tougher competition when the Thunder are going and they've got all their allotted Crows players. We will wait to see uh, what uh, side they will put out on the park and how many Crows players will be there. I just feel that Geelong, you can't put your finger on it, but something's missing. Something's missing in the Geelong side that to make them from a side that are not only a finals team, but a gen, genuine premiership threat. I can't pinpointed exactly. Collingwood and Hawthorne seem to have the X factor about them and are a chance for the flag. The Thunder certainly have an X factor about them, but for the Cats, it just feels like something's missing. Yeah, they haven't had, I think at the start of the year, uh, we were were anticipating that the Cats would probably be the top side of the competition, uh, considering that the talent that they had on their list um, some of the youth that was coming through the region as well that they were beginning to blood um, and that they were one of the more stable sides of the competition. Their season hasn't reflected that optimism uh, from earlier in the year and I tend to agree. I don't know whether it's because they have been developing players in, in different positions or whether they've, because they've got that eye focus to the 2019 AFLW season, whether the on-field success in the VFLW, whilst they have promoted that externally that they're they're chasing the flag, but uh, I wonder whether internally it's not as high on the priority list as what uh, we may think. Um, Having said that, uh, I I think the, uh, the game against Casey, what I took away from it was when they did have their backs up the wall, uh, against the wall, they steadied uh, and they were able to click into gear, which is something that I didn't see when I saw them against the Bulldogs and it's something I didn't see when they drew with Collingwood earlier in the year. So that was a, a, a positive sign from me. I, I think the break is the biggest detriment to the Northern Territory Thunder. I 
saw how good they were against Collingwood out at Victoria Park a couple of weeks ago, how they just were incredibly well structured in the second half, which won them the match out there. But I just think a two-week break in footy is a long time, especially at this time of year. Um, I Yeah, that's, that's the big barrier for me at the moment for tipping against the Thunder. If they didn't have the, the bye in the final round, um, I think I'd be going a different way. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the Cats for me. Both of those games will be live on RSN Carnival, Saturday, 10 a.m., Sunday, 11 a.m. Do tune in via digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app or rsn.net.au. And Coxie, for this weekend as well, people can watch the live stream via vfl.com.au. Yeah, great to have them taking our call as well. Uh, So there's multiple ways of watching or catching the action if you're out and about this weekend. Make sure that you do tune in because... Uh, these four sides are the best sides in the VFLW for 2018. Obviously, Collingwood has an AFLW side, so there's plenty of familiar names amongst that lineup. Uh, the Cats are looking to enter the competition uh, in 2019, so there's uh, an opportunity for fans to to engage in their path to accept to success if that continues past this weekend, and of course. Uh, to see some of the Adelaide Stars line up for the Northern Territory Thunder and just some stars for the Hawthorne Footy Club. It's uh, amazing how they've got some of the the youth coming through, but also some of the experienced leaders, as we mentioned before, with the likes of Meg Hutchins in that side. So uh, looking forward to to a big weekend in footy and looking forward to seeing how our tips go, Pete, because we are split down the middle this weekend. Well, that concludes things for yet another week. Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival airs as a midweek show Wednesdays, 6 p.m. every week. You can download the podcast version of the program from Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football. Or why not tune into our live coverage of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition? We're on RSN Carnival this Saturday from 10 a.m. for Collingwood versus Hawthorne in the major semi final and in the minor semi final Sunday from 11 a.m. NT Thunder versus Geelong. Both games being played at Stannard Stadium, otherwise known as Northport Oval. Until next time, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company, and it's bye for now.